now. Scotland's talking. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate. Hello and a very good Sunday morning to you. I'm Ali Bally and this is Scotland's Talking. On the programme today, I'll be asking why has politics turned so ugly? You lost the people's vote. This is not the Britain I know and love, and these people do not represent our country, and they need sorting out. Is it just a temporary Brexit thing, or has something happened to us as a nation? Also on the programme, we're a step closer to giving speeding drivers a second chance in Scotland. It's long overdue, and it's uh, been proven down south that those people who take speed awareness courses are less likely to re-offend. Do you think that's a good move? I'd also like to hear your opinion on taxing tourists in Scotland. Edinburgh Council says nine out of ten people are behind their plans for a levy. We are now one of only nine EU cities that don't have a tourist tax, so if it's good for every part of Europe, it's good enough for Edinburgh. But opinion is evenly split amongst those who are in the accommodation business. This is Scotland's Talking, music and conversation for a Sunday morning. Scotland's Talking. The podcast. So it was the week the debate on Brexit boiled over. That's the sound of protesters, if you can call them that, haranguing the Tory MP and Remain supporter Anna Subri outside the Houses of Parliament. They'd already attempted to drown out her appearances on a succession of live TV interviews with chants including the words liar and Nazi. Afterwards, she described how a group surrounded her as she tried to return to the Commons. I mean, I was pretty cheesed off at being called a Nazi. I think that's exceptionally offensive and I don't think it's acceptable. And I think the police should have intervened to tell them just to cut that word out. The police know you know, how you deal with difficult situations to maintain law and order whilst allowing people to have proper and lawful demonstrations. It was a step too far. There was a moment when I tried to get into the entrance, which we call it Black Rod's Gate, Black Rod Entrance, when a man came in front of me and I didn't know who he was. He seemed different to the others, some of whom I'd recognised from the incident that happened in December. And he was saying stuff, calling me a fascist or something. And he didn't seem to be with them. And he sort of moved his hand in, as if he was going into his jacket. And I thought, this, anything could happen. And I did feel very exposed and completely left to my own devices. And I, I'm afraid I don't think, it's not me, nobody should be in that position. And it's, there's a clear line between people who are cross with what you say and don't agree with you, and they are in, my constituents in particular are more than entitled to tell me in no uncertain terms what they think. But what happened yesterday went beyond, in my opinion, what we should tolerate as a democratic society. So is that what political discussion has sunk to in this country? We may be far away from the events at Westminster, but have you found things turning ugly on Facebook or any social media, maybe even face-to-face, every time Brexit or indeed independence is mentioned? The Brexit-supporting Tory MP Jacob Rees-Mogg says there may be some positives in it. I think it's one of the reasons for being very cautious about a second referendum. There is division within the country. People feel very strongly. Now, there is a good side of this, and that is that people are interested in politics, they're interested in how they're governed, and they are engaging with the political process, and that is encouraging. On the other hand, what happened yesterday to Anna Soubry was quite disgraceful and is not the sort of thing that any politician, uh, or indeed anybody going to work, ought to have to put up with, that, that... Going into work should not be running a gauntlet, Uh, and I think that people who resort to abuse are losing their argument and their credibility. So there we are. There's um, Jacob Rees-Mogg there. So let's hear firsthand what it's been like around Parliament. Our reporter is Georgie, and she's down in London at the moment. Georgie, good morning to you. Good morning. Hi, Ali. 
So how has it been then? Is it as, you know, we obviously get the, the television cameras and the audio that we're getting back into the radio news bulletins and things. Uh, are these selected pieces or do you, fe- do you feel threatened? Well, of course, this has hit the news earlier this week because of Anna Subri in particular being called a Nazi while she was doing interviews on College Green. And she was followed then as she headed into Parliament. Um, but this led to the police being called into action. We've had more than 100 MPs write to them. But really, this has been going on for months now. Protesters have been in the area focusing on Brexit every day for really well over a year now. I'm often there all sorts of hours myself. And they are always there, rain or shine, no matter what time of day it is. But it's just occasionally that certain groups show up and create the tension that you've probably seen in the video that went viral earlier this week. And it's been happening to journalists too, not me personally, thank thank God, but Sky's Faisal Islam tweeted saying he was heckled while reporting. They called him not British. So this is really quite quite bad things that are happening. I was in Paris just before Christmas during one of their Yellow Vest protests, and there is truly no comparison really to the scale of what is going on there. But the protesters here are certainly inspired by what's going on in Paris, sometimes wearing Yellow Vests themselves. The atmosphere has been tense, as really it only takes a few of these people to show up to make things really very uncomfortable indeed. And that is the real problem here. It is only occasionally, it is only when they show up. Certain people also trigger things. Obviously, when Nigel Farage arrives, it can get very uncomfortable. But I must say, for the most part, it is peaceful. There are protesters there all the time that are peaceful. But there is a lot of heckling and it can be extremely frustrating for me when you're trying to record reports or do interviews do interviews it's definitely getting in the way of my work at the moment but as soon as i think it goes beyond that and crosses the line that's where we're seeing this bigger problem of the divisions that are going on right you mentioned uh mr farage there he's been getting this thrown at him for for a number of years now and and you know he's even had a a pint thrown over him i think once in in scotland so um this has been happening has that been a slow build-up i mean uh, why, why do you think it's all come to the, the front now through Anna Subri when, when Mr Farage has been getting the same thing? I think really we, we've had the pro-Brexit protesters in place for, as you'll hear soon, one guy has been there every day for 17 months now. We've seen them there. They've been there continuously. It's only really recently that we've had the Leave protesters actually show up and start heckling and that has been an issue because there have been times where there have been racist undertones there have been times where it's been sexist undertones and that can be an issue and i think they kind of don't really these certain people that are arriving really choose who they are arguing with you'll hear from in a moment a leave campaigner who was actually told off by them himself so this has been a problem all the way through Brexit, but now Brexit's really coming to a head. We've got the debate coming up on Tuesday. We've got the vote, sorry, coming up mm-hmm. on Tuesday. Um, and it is really getting quite tense now. The the more, the more closer we get to actually leaving, I think the tensions are running high. But you'll hear from some protesters in a minute that I've spoken to that say they get on really well, that they, they speak to one another on both sides, and that has been fine. It's only when the occasional group of people turns up that really wants to create this division that there has been problems that have stepped over that line right okay so let's uh have a listen as you said then to the leave protester first this this guy's name's harry i believe yes his name's harry joseph todd and he's the campaign coordinator for leave means leave so let's have a listen they're a main protester on that side. We get along quite cordially with them. We have, we have some jokes, we have some laughs. Before Christmas, we shared some biscuits and mince pies. So, you know, they've got as much right to this space as we do, because it's a public walkway at the end of the day. We've got to share the space. They're good guys. They're very wrong on what they believe, but they are good guys. And they're, they're doing that best of British traditions of peacefully protesting. Those protests haven't, though, always been peaceful, as we've seen over the last week or so. It has verged on on kind of intimidating to certain MPs. We know what happened to Anna Subri. Tell me, when you see that happening, what does that really mean for you as someone that is protesting peacefully here? It disgusts me. Uh, When language on either side becomes unacceptable, it disgusts me. I'm a big believer in public debate, as I said. I want to promote it, and when we have that sort of unacceptable behaviour, it just stiffens each side's resolve not to talk to one another at all. And it's part of why we have a problem in Parliament right now. There is no debate in politics anymore. So, yeah, you can hear there just how 
intense it has been over the last few weeks and it is just occasional it is when those people show up um we've spoken to people on the other side as well steve bray is the guy you usually see in the background of the news with a very tall large sign and he's got an eu top hat he's now on his 17th month of being outside parliament so let's have a listen to what he has to say now the leave campaign Actually, I think they actually see Brexit slipping away. So they're getting angrier and they're coming out now to campaign for either a no-deal Brexit or May's deal Brexit. I have no idea what they want. They're obviously here doing that to MPs they think don't want to leave. You you have been, when Nigel Farage and people like that turn up, heckling, doing things like that. Tell me about that. Do you think that's appropriate? Well, look, when Jacob Rees-Mogg was uh, over in St. Stephen's entrance giving a, a speech, I felt that was appropriate just to shout stop Brexit continuously. Um, Does yeah. that not get in the way, though, of him saying his view, people making an opinion on his view at home? Uh, it did, yes, and that was the intention. But, I mean, uh, I'm here to protest. And he's been there for a while, Georgie, hasn't he? Yes, exactly. Months and months. And I think it is every day, really, that he is there. I sometimes get there at seven in the morning and he's there. I sometimes leave at midnight and he's still there. So he is one of the really hardcore ones. And actually, he has been, I can't complain, they have been completely peaceful, but they have been very, very loud indeed. And that can be a problem when you're trying to record reports, when you're trying to get the message to people when you're trying to interview people on both sides actually and there's shouting in the background the stop brexit stop brexit continuously um over and over again just very loud right in the way of your microphone so that can be really quite frustrating but it's only really recently that we've seen a few people show up every now and then a really cause a stir with just how how almost offensive they've been when they've been shouting abuse and that is the difference I think between people like Steve who have been there for a really long time protesting peacefully and the people that have been showing up lately that are overstepping the mark. Mm. And as you say as it gets closer to the vote and then again it looks as if it's just going to continue um, we just don't know which way it's going to well we have a reasonable idea as to which way the vote is going to go on Tuesday but um, after that we're, we're not quite sure where it's going to go so these people will continue turning up and, and may get even more vocal Yes it's likely that it will get more tense especially because uh, now we know that Theresa May has about three days to tell us she's got a plan B after this vote if it doesn't go through, she's only got three days. So this is the problem we're facing, really, because that is a period of uncertainty. She may well say we are going to have another people's vote, and that will cause a huge, huge protest, I believe. And then, again, she might say we may extend Article 50, and we'll have a bit more time, and we won't actually be leaving in March, at the end of March. That, again, will cause probably huge protests and so this will continue over the next few months I'm sure and probably get more and more tense after the vote on Tuesday. Georgie thank you very much indeed for joining us and giving us a little flavour of what's happening uh, in your job in London at the moment thank you and we look forward to speaking to you I'm quite sure over the next few weeks. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Bye-bye. Our London reporter Georgie Produmo who's uh, as I say in London at the moment and will be uh, joining us over the next few weeks as we keep an eye on this situation. But, as as Georgie was saying there, is getting more and more vocal. Do you find that, uh, as I said earlier, we're a wee bit away from Westminster, but do you find that's happening on social media, on Facebook, on people you talk to who may have the opposite view from you? Because let's face it, it is a bit of a mess at the moment. You know, it doesn't matter which way you look at it. It is a bit of a mess. Um, you know, uh, and, and Brexit getting the blame for everything. We'll have a look at that as well. If you'd like to join us, give us your comments. 0333 is the phone number. You can text 61054, start your be- message with Ali, or email ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk. Plus, of course, we're on Twitter, hashtag Scotland's Talking. You're listening to Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talking. Okay, let's get a phone call comment on the on the wireless now. Then shall we? Here's John McCutcheon. Hi, John. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, Alice. But this uh, breakfast, I blame Mrs. The First Minister. She has keeps turning it up, turning it up. She's got the Labour Party. She's got all the parties. 
telling me to stay into Europe. I went, I went down the town on Saturday, yesterday, and down the town, do you know what we were doing? We were having a big European flag. I said to the guy, what's this? I said, it's a Scotland, you're on. And I had a set to with them, because he said, oh, you won't get this, you won't get that. I said, you don't know what's going to, what you won't get, what you won't get. When I was in the party of Selvall, you know that, I got put out because I voted out, and I think I've got what I think is right. And I, I, <laughs> I went back after I was and got a little placard, and I stood beside them saying, I want to vote out, and they all disappeared. But they're waving a big European flag. Now, I spoke, I spoke to Mr. Bishop, I met Mr. Fraser, the, 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 and Mr. Bishop, I said, what's happening to the party? You guys have paid all that money to look after us. We're here thinking, you, you made what's going to happen. I spoke to Mr. Fraser, the, the, the Tory guy, and I said to him, I do what's going to happen. I'm going to jump to one bar, and I'm going to be a Tory. <laughs> I shouldn't be saying I'm be a Tory, because this is the First Minister has stood up and stood up and stood so, up. So do you, do, you, do you believe, sorry to interrupt then, John, but do you believe that we should just go for it and yes. be just get on and see then what happens? You know, because yes. Brexit is being, as you know, Every, as, you know, you're talking about the First Minister. She she is doing what she believes is the right thing to do for Scotland. That's fine. You might agree no. or no, no, no. You might agree or you might disagree with her, but that's what she's there to do. And she she's saying that we should be staying. And um, but you you, a former SNP member, are saying that we'd be better off out of Europe. Is that right? Mrs. Surgeon, ambitions are far forward, and she wants to stay in Europe and flood this country with Europeans. At the end of the story, yeah, where are we going? But all the places will be full of people who, and the young people today won't have jobs. What else? The schools are full at the moment. The education is gone. The health service is gone through Mrs. Sturgeon. She, I mean, when it comes to next vote, now, I'm going to vote away from her because I went to see another, another minister, as I told Mr. Bishop, somebody who's going to represent Scotland. And Mr. Scotland, for us, they're not interested in Europe. They can do it as an outcast themselves, are they? What about, what about the the opportunities that being part of Europe will offer uh, the, the, the generations of the, the future, John? Well, I, I think, personally, I think we can go on well without the annual vote mm-hmm. because it's getting too much a, a carry-on. Mrs. Theresa May, she's been bamboozled with everything. And the people in the street, I spoke to a lot of people, and they don't know what's happening. And the people I spoke to yesterday with the big flag, the European flag, from the SNP, they're from the SNP, the Labour Party of the SNP. I said, they don't know what's happening, but they tell you that this could happen, that could happen. I said, there's not going to happen. You won't get medicine, you won't get this. I said, nobody knows what the story is until we get it over and done with. OK, thank you very much indeed, John. That's John's view. What is yours? He says we should just be out. Um, o treble three twenty twenty four o one. It's the other John. Hello, John. John Carr this time. Hi there, John. Good morning, Ali. How are you, my friend? Fine, thank you. Your thoughts on this, then? Well, first of all, I've got to say that the MPs of this country don't live in our world. They live in a completely different world for us. Um, they must do, because when they sit in the House of Commons and we see photographs of them lying sleeping and how much money they're getting, let's be honest now, Ali, being an MP isn't a vocation anymore. It's a career, and a very lucrative career. And we have a situation where people are making votes on putting stops to people's money and all the rest of it, and then when they stop for a break, they go into a restaurant that's subsidised by the people they're taking money off, the taxpayer. It's all wrong. Now, Brexit. The country made a vote on Brexit. And unfortunately, the people that we have got running the country can't make a decision on how it should go. They can't get it right. Now, if they can't get it right, there shouldn't be all this to and fro It should be a simple case of do it or go. If you're employed to do a job and you can't do the job, leave and let somebody else in who can do it. The reason I think people are getting so irate we MPs, Ali, is they see the fence getting further and further away. They're earning, they earn their money. They can go and get a 10% increase, 15% increase. They're getting money here. They're getting expenses there. They're getting this there and that there. And all round about them, 
there's more and more people. I was just reading today about a girl who lost her, her money. She got put on some kind of scheme, ended up losing her house, sleeping in her car, lost her baby. This is what's happening in this country. They're feeding on restaurants. Well, five miles away, people are queuing up in food banks trying to feed their kids and feed themselves. They really want to get it together and see if they can get it together. I think 50% of the MPs that sit in Westminster should be working class, should know what, how it feels to have make a decision between a loaf and 10 cigarettes. No sitting there with a 10,000, I can't live on 60,000, I need to be head of this company, I need money for here, I need 60,000 isn't enough for me, but 70 odd pounds all right for a pensioner to live on because they're no me. Who do you see? You're saying if they if they can't solve this, they should get out and make room for somebody who can. Who is there there at the moment who could take this Brexit situation and sort it out, do you think? Jeremy do, Corbyn. Really? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, what, because why, he's why? the only one. He's the only man I've heard of who has any interest at all in the working people and what's happening in this country to the working people, Ali. And I, I, I strayed away for Labour after the referendum, after what they've done. But Jeremy Corbyn, for what I've heard of him and what he's saying, talk sense. Do you think the European, are, would the Europeans pay any more attention to Jeremy Corbyn than they have of the current Prime Minister? I mean, he, he is talking about... You know that the the Tories should stand down, call a general election, um, and, and if that is the case, he hopes the Labour Party would get in. But those in charge of Europe have said this is the deal. There's no other deal. That's as good as you're going to get. Do you really believe that Jeremy Corbyn can start from scratch and and get a, a better deal than is on the table at the moment? Well. I heard a gentleman on your programme about a year ago saying that he doesn't think we'll ever leave Europe. It's all a ruse and it'll no happen and all the rest of it. And it's beginning to look like that, Ali. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. We're not going to leave Europe. We're going to take this clause and we're going to jump in and say, OK, we've made a big kerfuffle, but we've changed our mind. And we're going to sit in and all we've done is make a fool of ourselves. I don't understand. If you want to go to Europe, come to Europe. Other countries can live without Europe. We can live without Europe. We do more trading with them than they do with us. So we, we can live without them. Just say, right, fair enough. We're in the story. Let's go on with it. Instead of all this ash passing about, just oh, as a thought, see all this campaigning and all this stuff that they're doing and the MPs are doing. How much money is that costing the country, Ali? Mm-hmm. How many millions and millions of pounds is getting floated away to try and bribe Europe into being their pal, even although we want to leave them? Half the reason why we want to leave them is because they're crumbling. They're going down the tubes, and we don't want to be with them. So if we're this great nation, get out and stand on our own two feet. OK, John, thank you. Let's squeeze in Willie. Hello, Willie. Hello, Ali. Uh, basically... I find it um, very funny when the, the, the Tories uh, basically, although a lot of people in the House of Commons speak about intimidation, when the biggest rent mob in the House of Commons is the Tory party, the way that they gang up within the House when someone is saying something that they don't like, they shout them down, they harass them, they harangue them, and then they have the nerve to claim that they're being intimidated when they're outside walking. I saw the, the, the scene. It wasn't nice. And uh, I, I wonder why the police didn't step in and give her a wee bit of an escort. But they have created a, a situation here where people are seeing what they do in the house, and that's acceptable. So why is it not acceptable to do it outside the house? And get the point of view over that people are getting robbed of. 
we we have a situation where people are starving, people are dying, kids aren't getting educated properly, people aren't getting the proper proper medical help, and people are getting angry, people are getting frustrated. And the people in charge are saying, no, that's not happening. We're, we're spending loads of money. We're doing this, we're doing that. When everyone knows it's a lie. So frustrations are bound to boil up. I think the, the frustrations also, you know, it, it, it seems that we we blame, or there's, there's a lot of blame going on Brexit for things that would have been happening with or without Brexit anyway. Um, so, you, you know, and, and I'm thinking of the the jobs that have gone this week in the car industry. Uh, those were probably going anyway. Um, and then there was a talk about the Ford plant in, in Wales. That was talked about a year ago that that would go because it lost the, the contract for the engines it was making for Jagger Land Rover was coming to an end anyway. So, But it seems to have been Brexit. And, and I'm, I'm looking also at a headline from uh, a newspaper yesterday, the, the Dundee Courier. And the headline on the front page is Brexit could call time on Dundee City pubs. And this is a story about two pubs closing, one in Monifeet and one in Tayport. What on earth has that got to do with Brexit? You know, pubs have been closing in Dundee for a number of years. Exactly. Right? What has a pub closing in Monifeet or Tayport got to do with Brexit? Nothing that, whatsoever, but that's the front page. You know, That's why I don't say a great deal about Brexit. I, I, I think Brexit is just a, 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 another excuse to continue the severe, in inverted commas, austerity programme. The austerity is the biggest lie that has ever been told. There was no need for austerity. Austerity should have just been we're cutting things to the bone. If they'd have been honest, that's what it should have been uh, pictured as. And this is just another strand of a 30, 40-year Tory plan to take back workers' rights, to destroy workers' uh, ability to, to stand up against this. And I just uh, I cannot see anything changing that and and that's why I see Brexit as it's it's all so much hot air mm. when right wingers are shouting and bawling it's just English nationalists. Wally, Wally, I'm going to stop you there because I'm going to go to a quick break and take some more calls. Thank you. Scotland's talking the podcast. Going back to some of the social media comments we've got here, Maureen uh, says, what exactly is Jeremy Corbyn's uh, policy on Brexit? Going back to um, John, our taxi driver, who said that uh, Jeremy Corbyn could make a better job of it, uh, of Brexit. Um, Maureen's just asked a simple question that I, I know that uh, Jeremy Corbyn has been asked many, many times and there doesn't seem to be an answer. What is Corbyn's policy on Brexit, she says. I don't know, Maureen. If anybody does know, uh, then please get in touch. 0333 2020 401 is the number. And uh, we've got one in here from uh, Peter. Thank you very much indeed for his comment on uh, the Facebook page. And my Facebook page is live at the moment. So if you wanted to comment on there, that's fine. Just a little bit of what Peter's saying. Don't see it the way that others are afraid. I see more people understanding more and more and the elite getting find out, found out more and more. If they don't understand that more than 11,000 have committed suicide due to their actions but are up in arms because someone called them a name, then they need to find another job. So are you saying, Peter, that... Uh, they should just be taking it as part of the job. Surely not. You know, surely calling people names like that, um, Nazi and et cetera, et cetera, you shouldn't just expect that as part of the job. I wouldn't have thought as a politician. I know they've got to have thick skins, you know, but uh, that's what they, they should be going into politics for anyway. But um, we'll continue this conversation in the next hour. And also I'm looking for your thoughts on um, this new policy that may be coming in. It's already in England, 
and they're looking now to introduce it into Scotland, uh, getting the second chance if you're caught speeding to go on a speeding awareness course. And I'll be speaking to Cathy. Cathy Wright will be joining us. Uh, she's been in that situation. She'll tell us exactly what happened. So that's just one of the things we're talking about in the next hour. This is Scotland's Talking. Good morning. You're listening to Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talking. Uh, last week on the programme, we were talking diets and losing weight and things like that. And thanks very much indeed to Avril, who sent me a, a, a text yesterday uh, when I was on doing the Saturday show. And I was asking if, if you'd started a diet last Monday, as a lot of people did. Uh, I was asking yesterday on the show, uh, how were you doing? You know, genuinely, how was it going? Because it's not the easiest of things to do. Uh, I know, I've been there so many times, you know. So uh, Avril sent this, this in yesterday, um, and I thought I'd keep it till today because we were talking about diets last week on, on Scotland's Talking. And Avril says, I listened to your diet discussions last week and didn't have the courage to call. I've been struggling with my weight for years due to an underactive thyroid. Then, on Facebook, I got this American thyroid diet. Well, you know, I thought to myself, oh, sometimes, you know, you wonder, will these things work or will they not work? But she says, I went ahead and I bought it. And I did everything to the book, eating organic meat, veg, ginger tea, gluten-free bread, etc., nuts. She says, the result is... I've now lost two and a half stone and it was quite easy to do. Did this last January and by April uh, I had lost and I've still more to go, but I'm really happy with where I am now. Quite right as well. You should be absolutely proud of yourself. Well done. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't matter how you've got there. You've got there. That's that's the basics of it. You know, there are many places people um, go along to slimming classes. They go to exercise classes. Doesn't matter how you do it. Find what works for you. I mean, you do let me know because I've never found what works for me. <laughs> but uh, all the best to you. Anyway, everyone, thanks for, for getting in touch. Changing the subject totally now. How would you like the idea of getting a second chance if you're caught speeding? Police Scotland have put forward an idea to let first-time offenders escape a fine and not get points on their licence if they agree to go on a speed awareness course. Now, this has been an option in many parts of England and Wales for the last 15 years. Now, the Crown Office is considering a proposal to bring them in here. Neil Gregg from the safety charity IAM Roadsmart has been telling Rob Waller how it works. We think it's a great move. I think it's long overdue and it's uh, been proven down south that those people who take speed awareness courses are less likely to reoffend compared to those who get just uh, speeding points or fines. So yes, uh, this should have happened years ago. We've, we've been waiting for this to happen in the road safety fraternity. So we think it's great news for road safety that speed awareness courses are finally one step closer to happening in Scotland. They do get portrayed as a kind of get-out-of-jail-free card. Is that a misrepresentation? It is, to a certain extent. I think some sort of hard-bitten people go on some of these courses and see it as a soft touch, a way of protecting their licence by not losing the points, taking the course instead. But in actual fact, a speed awareness course is the only time that drivers really get their personal driving style, their personal views on driving challenged in a room full of other drivers. So it's a, for some people, it's a really chastening experience, and they do come away from it very, very affected by it. And as I say, the research has been quite clear. Recent research shows quite clear that those people who take a, a course are less likely to speed again. Can you describe for us what goes on at these kind of sessions then? Well, basically, it's it's about uh, introduction to the sort of the, the statistics, the evidence behind the reason that we have speed limits. You know, the effect of speed on your braking distance, your your driving performance, the effect of speed when you hit a pedestrian. Um, it looks at case studies. It looks at behaviour profiles of people. It looks at the reasons that people think they need to speed to speed, and it also challenges some of the myths. For example, that if you travel at eighty or ninety miles an hour, you're actually going to save a lot of time getting somewhere. Where in actual fact, the reality is you'll save minutes and actually put yourself at risk and, and other people at risk as well. 
And do you have to pay for this? Because so many people think that sort of speed cameras and whatever are just a revenue-raising exercise. Do you have to pay to go on the course? You do. Uh, there, there will be a tender process. Uh, IM Roadsmart already provides similar courses on drink driving down south, uh, so we'll be interested in tendering for this when it comes along. But basically, you will pay a fee. The fee will be slightly less than a speeding fine, and it doesn't involve loss of your uh, uh, any sort of points on your licence, so that's why it's quite attractive. Over a million people uh, down south have been taking... Uh, speed awareness courses every year so we expect it to be very popular and I know from speaking to Police Scotland people over the years that when they've gone to check out courses in places like Carlisle they found that the course is full of people from Scotland who've driven down having been caught speeding on the M6 in Cumbria so people do like these courses as I say they do have a good impact and but you will have to pay for them. Neil Gregg from the safety charity IAM Road Smart chatting there to uh, Rob Waller um, about this this new scheme Cathy Wright joins us now. Cathy uh, has been one of those who was caught. She lives south of the border. And tell us what happened in your case then, Cathy. Um, I was just driving through one of the local villages and stupidly got caught doing uh, 35 in a 30 mile an hour zone by mobile camera units. Um, then, of course, got the letter sent through saying that I'd been caught, and it then gave me the option of going on a speed awareness course or taking the three points on my licence. And I chose to do the, the um, speed awareness course. Up until that point, did you have a clean licence? Um, yes. It, well, no. <laughs> it, it, I'd been caught speeding before um, by cameras, um, like doing like 34 in a, or 33 in a 30, mm-hmm. all in Northumberland, and um, had always taken the points. This was the first time I'd ever been given the option right. of, of doing the speed awareness course. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll give it a go and see what happens. So what did happen when you went along to this then? Um, it's, it was an all-day course. It started at 8 o'clock in the morning, and quite ironically, right on the border um, of England and Scotland, and um, it was just very informal chats with videos. And um, they did give you some very good pointers, though, as to how to keep your speed down while driving through, like, a 30-mile-an-hour zone where there is often um, the vans with the cameras in, um, which I still do to this day. And I've told all my friends and family as well that if you drive in, a, in third gear in a 30-mile-an-hour zone, your car doesn't go above 30, so you won't ever get stopped or cameraed for speeding. Um, And it was just very, very informative. And since then, I've been very careful, and I haven't been caught again. Mm. Does does the cars you drive not have speedos on them? They do, yes. Why don't you just keep under it then? (laughs) Because where the the cameras are in where I live, um, you come down a hill which is a 60 mile an hour with no signs. That's the other thing about in Scotland, you get a warning Mm -hmm. of when you are driving into a 30 mile an hour zone. In England, you don't. So you go from 60 to 30. And that's when they often catch you as soon as you go from the 60 to 30. So, um, but yes, I, I know what you mean. You need to watch your speedo more. I know. I listen. <laughs> I should tell myself that. <laughs> Look, looking in the mirror here. Uh, yeah, I know. So, but in general, then this course, whilst you don't get the points, did it help educate you? Yes, you it, made, did. it has made you more aware. It has did. It? It, may, it has definitely made me more aware of. Um, it's a long time since I took my driving test and did the theory and. Um, had to remember how street lights mean you have to go into a 30 mile an hour zone and how different, um, how they're set out differently means a different um, speed in each area. And it just brings it all back to you. So it's quite a bit like a refresher course, really. So, yes, it was very helpful. It really was. Right. And I know that, um, as Neil was saying just previously, there, there are quite a few. Um, people from Scotland take part in it if they get caught on the M6 uh, that I know they've said they've gone down, they've taken part in it in Carlisle or whatever and it has certainly helped them. Were there any Scots on the course that you were taking? In fairness, the majority of the people on the course were Scottish. Really? Yes, 
some had driven down from Glasgow for that morning, yeah, um, and they'd been caught not necessarily on the M6 but on the A1. Right, of course. Coming through Berwick and that way, mm-hmm. and further down. So, and also on like the 697 and anywhere coming from Scotland into North Northumberland, there's lots of cameras around and police vans that you don't see. So, uh, yes, there was many, quite a, in fact, the majority of the people were Scottish, yes, on um, the on, course. On that particular course. Well, thank yeah, you. on that particular course. Thank you very much indeed for telling us what it's like. And um, in Scotland, hopefully, that this may be something that does happen in the future. As I said earlier, I think it's long overdue. But, Cathy, thank you very much indeed for joining us. No problem. You're very welcome. So, there we have it then. Do you think it's the right way to go? Or, indeed, if someone is is speeding. I mean, we're talking here that uh, if you're a first-time offender, we mentioned that at the beginning, you can escape a fine. Now, I'm not quite sure if that's what the, the is being proposed by Police Scotland only for first-time offenders. That wasn't the case there, obviously, with Cathy. She was uh, um, not a first-time offender, but it was the first time she'd been given the opportunity to to take that speed awareness course. Do you think that is a good move forward? What do you think? O treble three twenty twenty four oh one is the number. If you'd like to join us, give us your thoughts on this. Is it a good one? Because it, you know, I can understand someone who's got nine points on the license, thinking to themselves, "This would be great." You know, I'd go down and do, I'd, you know, I would go to wherever to do this course. But if they've been got three or nine points on the license anyway, then they'll have been caught speeding before, probably. So. You know, do they deserve to be let off? What's your thoughts? Oh, treble three twenty twenty four oh one. You can text your thoughts to six one oh five four. Start your message with Ali. Email Ali at thegraciousshits.co.uk. I'm on Facebook, Ali Bally Show. Uh, also, we're on Twitter. If you're a tweet, then give us uh, your comments on hashtag Scotland's Talking. Stevens here. Hello, Stephen. Happy New Year to you. Oh, happy New Year, Ali. Did I tell you, my tin opener, the broke try over that free and bent his pie, Ali. Uh, I can we, eat Christmas dinner. Still starving. We, we continue this conversation as to what is the best tin opener to open a free bent his pie. And and I know it got a lot of people going. According to, to John yesterday on the programme, he says a butterfly tin opener is the best type. I've broke three of them, Ali. I've broken two. So there we go. Anyway, let's move on from that. What about the speeding situation then? I think the, the police, should, the police Scotland should pull over, turn off the blue lights, and go on me try to tackle the crime in these communities. Folk it's speeding over the border. I'm not interested, Ali, in any laws that's in England, Scotland. Make the roads safer. All you're sending out there is the wrong message. You'll get boy racers on these roads thinking they're in knockout every day of the week and just, they'll, go, they'll just go mad, Ali. They think they're on Jackie shirts and all that. And I would reduce the points from 12 to 9 for these potential, potential, reason, offenders. Because all they'll say, oh, good, all we're going to get is we can fly about these roads, go to all these meetings, and all we're going to get is a slap on the wrist. No, Ali. Nine points and your licence is off you. And I would even go as far as saying I'll take your car off you. Because there's too many folk that are into these courts. And depending who you are, they're getting off, Ali. Mm-hmm. I know somebody, a young fella, I can't no name him, in that guy three months ago, a hundred mile an hour in a 40, Ali. No, he got it. I can't believe it. £250 fine and banned for six months. That boy should have got to jail, Ali. You see, I, I, I don't, I don't think that. Yeah, but I, I don't think you can. If, if you've been on one of these speed awareness courses, right? Let, let's just say it happens in Scotland, and um, you, you're caught speeding, and you're given the choice of the points or the speed awareness course. I don't think they should be, and, and I'm, I'm fairly sure this doesn't happen in England, but I just want to, you know, I'm, I, I don't know what is being proposed. It could be proposed differently in Scotland. But surely, if you go, or if you've been given the opportunity of taking part in the speed awareness course once, and you're caught speeding again, you shouldn't get the option. It should be the points. Surely. You should have got, 
shouldn't you an option the first time? At the end of the day, the lady says that there's street lights out there, you've got a highway code, a high power for motors out there. You tell that to the wee, the family that's lost her wee son or the wee daughter is commuting his bike between a park car and a clown goes along there at 40 and, and a 30, kills him. Oh, crap, I'll just give you a slap in the wrist. You're grieving for the rest of their life. He goes in a course. Then we're going with this, Ali. No, no, there's no everything. But because somebody will be making money out of these courses, Ali. You better get your Bob Dalton dollar. Somebody's making money here. That's a money racket. That's not, they're not caring about fucking folk, uh, folks. There's money in somebody's pocket. No, Ali. You go speeding 40 and 30, you're banned. Same as the 50s and the 60s. And then they're guilty. I'm a professional driver, Ali. I drive HGV lorries. I drive buses. I know what it's like to drive through these roads out there. And you see these bump boys going by you. All your days going to encourage them. As I said before, still in bosses doing the roads. And then they're guilty, you must remember. In over the seven and a half ton lorry in the whole year, guile. That goes for Arica. All the way away up to, to Campbelltown. I keep speeding over. You can't get over 40 miles an hour mm-hmm. in a seven and a half ton lorry. Slow the traffic down, Ali. It's the same for cars and sheep. We should be reducing the speed limits in some of these roads. Reducing them, Ali. OK, Stephen, thank you. That's Stephen's thoughts. What are yours? Come on, Eileen, give us yours. Hi, Ali, how you doing? I'm all hey, right, thank that, you. After that last caller, I sound like I'm a, a speeder trying to get away with it. But, no, I have two questions to ask you. One, the first one is, if you get caught speeding and uh, you do attend this course, do you still have to declare that to the insurance company, to your car insurance? Um, don't know. Don't know is the answer to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 yeah, it's a good question, um, and and I'd be wary. About, I'll certainly try and find out that answer, you know, because that's a very good question. Would you have to declare it? Declare it in what way? I mean, would you declare if you were caught speeding to your insurance company? Yes. Right. Yes. Because they ask you that question, have yeah. you been fined? Yeah. So I mean, if you don't declare it, then if you have an accident, then your policy is null and void. Because they're always looking for a way out. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Good point. We shall try and find out the answer to that one. Right. And the second question is that if you do attend the course, you do get caught a second time, is the fine higher than it would have been for the first time? And do you receive not three points, but six points? Because you've done it twice. I would think that highly unlikely. Each each offence would be taken uh, as as a different offence. And there is a standard, you know, there is a standard uh, fine and and points depending upon what speed you're doing. There is this gauge, isn't there? There's a a level you can go to. So I don't think it would be higher because you've taken part in a a speed awareness course. I wouldn't think that would be right. Would you? I don't know because you've already been done and you've been given the choice. Yeah, but if you take that choice... That to go on the speed awareness course, that's good and well. If it hasn't worked and you get caught again, then you'll get the points. I, I don't think there should be, a, as I said earlier, don't think there should be a second choice to go or a second chance to go on another speed awareness course if you've already been on one. No, 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 I know. I know that. Yeah, no, I get that. I understand that. But if you had been caught twice, the first time you, you go on the course, the second time, okay, you didn't really pay attention, so we're going to double fine you for that. Right. No. Okay. That's, that's, that's have you uh, have you been caught? Uh, not recently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very, very good. That's a total body swear. That one. <laughs> not recently. All right. How many points have you got in your license then? Oh no, it's clear now. It's all clear. All right. Oh, yeah, you clear. smug clear. woman, you. Yeah. It's clear yeah. at the moment. Yeah. At the moment. At the yeah. moment. Okay. Thank you very much indeed for calling. Thank you. Alistair, how are you doing? I'm doing nae bad. You, you're good self. I'm good, thank you. Now, what's your thoughts on this? Right, well, I've been on one. You've been on the speeding course? I've, I've done one, yeah. I did one when I lived in England. Right. Unfortunately. Uh, your, one of your previous callers was a, a professional driver. I was a, pro, I was a professional driver. I'm retired. Uh, bus driver. But I was, I was caught in my car. Not my bus, obviously, because I'm a professional driver. Of course. Now, um, you get three. You get the choice between three points or the course. Providing you don't reoffend in two years, it's 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 finished. But if you reoffend, you don't get the second choice. 
you get you're, you're done straight away. Right. That's how it, well, that's how it worked. That's when how I it was there. Right. So yeah. you you yeah. get that two years um, gap. buffer, if you like. Yes. If you do it after the two years, you possibly would get offered the, a course again. But within two years, no hard luck. You've had one chance. You've messed it up. You're getting the points, but you'll only get the three points for that offence. They don't backdate it. Right. Got you. Got you. Right. So there you go. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised that you actually get the second chance after two years. Um, well, yes. Yeah, so I, I am really, but there you go. It's that may not well, happen it, because it, you know up here <laughs> it might be it might be slightly different. How, you know how we like to make things different from elsewhere. Well, that's right. As, what was it, uh, Charles Dickens? Mister Bumble, the law is an ass. <laughs> <laughs> so you never know. Then you never know. <laughs> Alistair, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank for, you, sir. Thanks for clarifying that. Thank you. Bye bye now. Okay. Bye-bye. Right, it's 26 and a half minutes after 11. This is Scotland's Talking. If you've got a comment on the speeding, or indeed we're talking Brexit earlier, that's all right. We can take your calls, uh, or indeed get in touch in the other ways. But the phone number, 0333 Scotland's Talking, the podcast. On to another subject. Do you think it's time we started taxing tourists in Scotland? It's something that's been looked at in visitor hotspots around the country, but the place where the plans are most advanced are in Edinburgh. The council has been conducting a consultation on its plan to bring in a £2 per night levy, and they say the money would go to making life better for the people who live there. Now, 90% of residents back it, but only half of businesses do. Our chief reporter, Hope Webb, has been speaking to Deputy Council Leader Cammy Day for Scotland's Token. So you know there's over four and a half million visitors come to the city every year. That creates nearly £2 billion worth of income to the capital city. Um, and that creates a huge demand on the services that we need in the city, having that many people around, primarily around the city centre, but impact on the wider city. So we need an additional resource to invest in that, and this is what we're looking for the two stacks to do, to help uh, create a better environment for the capital city to grow. This obviously has shown that residents are overwhelmingly in support of it, but businesses, not as much. It's a little bit of a 50-50 split, really. I know a lot of them are concerned about the the implementation, what it will mean for um, people wanting to come stay in hotels, for example. What do you say to that argument? So none of the issues that's been raised by the sector have been evidence-based. You know, we are seeing a majority of the evidence, the, a majority of the Edinburgh-based uh, accommodation providers in support of tourist tax. And we're seeing some of the big chains like Virgin Hotels, Apex and, and the S1 Group all saying they support tourist tax. So I would welcome the discussion. The council leader and I have been having a number of sessions with the sector and whilst I accept they have some issues with it, it, it there's, there's no city in the country that has had a detrimental effect to our tourist tax and if, that's, if there is that evidence then we'd like to hear it. And we know places like Barcelona have implemented a, a levy of the same kind. I mean what have you seen from cities like that? So again, tourism has continued to grow in these countries and in the last few weeks we've seen Portugal and Greece adopt a tourist tax and we are now one of only nine EU cities that don't have a tourist tax. So if it's good for every part of Europe, it's good enough for Edinburgh. Gary Clark is from the Federation of Small Businesses and he told Hope why he's one of those who are against it. It does seem to be an even split uh, in terms of the the City of Edinburgh Council's uh, survey. Uh, Obviously, we found uh, last year when we surveyed smaller businesses uh, quite a substantial number, about three quarters, uh, against the prospect of a tax. So, uh, you know, there's a clear differential there between maybe the business community as a whole and smaller businesses. And, of course, it's those smaller businesses which would have a proportionately higher cost in terms of administering this tax. Is that kind of the general feeling that amongst small businesses, this tourist tax is, is maybe complicated to implement? And, and I guess they're, they're facing the unknown, aren't they, when it comes to what impact it could have on visitors? Absolutely. I mean, you're talking about um, small businesses in Edinburgh, small accommodation businesses, maybe uh, a small B&B, a small guest house, um, you know, an individual with maybe a a flat which he or she rents out. Um, The administrative burden of collecting a new tax on behalf of the council is certainly something that is a far bigger uh, impact to a business like that than it would be to a large hotel in the city centre. So certainly we're looking for the council to uh, take account of that when they look at uh, the results of this survey and the implications for any future tax uh, in the city. It has been a controversial discussion even from the get-go, hasn't it? And I think 
the the main reason is because tourism is such a huge part of Edinburgh, really, isn't it? It's at the heart of it. It, it, it absolutely is. It's a huge industry for our city. I mean, it, 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 the value of tourism to Edinburgh is about £1.4 billion uh, every year, and it, it accounts for a huge number, tens of thousands of jobs. So it is very important, and of course, that's why we have to treat it very seriously. It is welcome that the Scottish Government has stepped in and, and looked at the prospect of a tourism tax, uh, not just in Edinburgh, but across the whole of Scotland, because if we're going to go down this route, then we have to be very clear and very careful about the potential outcomes. Gary Clark from the Federation of Small Businesses talking there to our chief reporter Hope Webb about a tourist tax. What do you think of it? Do you think we should be going ahead with it? I can hear what Gary's saying in there as well. You know, even the, the small bed and breakfast is going to be an extra admin situation for them to collect money or somebody who just comes and maybe rents a house somewhere. How do you get him? And, and who is a tourist tax? If a hotel is um, is charging a tourist tax, if someone from, let's say, somewhere else in Scotland checks into a hotel, do they get charged that tourist tax as well? And, and how do they say, no, I'm not a tourist, I'm actually here on business? There's loads of questions there. What do you think? 0333 2020 uh, Thanks, Hope. And um, Hope Webb celebrated her birthday this week. So happy birthday, Hope. Hope your head's okay today. Rough night last night, I believe. Uh, right, let's go, Michael. Hello, Michael. Hello, fellow Ali. How are you? Fine, fine, thank you. Thanks for calling in. You want to talk about speeding? Yeah, I was. Uh, I did this course about three years ago. And, uh, I was booked in Sheffield for doing 34 in a 30-mile zone. I was down visiting my son and his family. <laughs> I wasn't aware until I got home there was a letter waiting for me. Anyway, I phoned Yorkshire Police and they told me the nearest place was Carlisle. I asked why, why not in Scotland. They said they discussed this with Scottish police and they didn't seem to be interested. So you went to Carlisle then? Yeah, I did. I went down to Carlisle, yeah. Did the course down there. Right. Was it a case, though, Michael, of just getting over with so you didn't get the points, or did you come away... How did you feel going down? Did you think you were going... Did you think you were going to learn anything anyway? Well, I went with an open mind, but as I say, at the beginning, I felt this was just another making money... <laughs> money-making policy. But I must say, once I arrived there, uh, it was very informative... I learned about street lights, the distance between street lights and the spacing of the lines in the roads and such forth, which I wasn't aware of before. But the other thing was, uh, somebody said that it was a two-year gap before you could do this again. I was informed it was three years. All right. And there was also a, a, a limit on the speed of over a cycle. I can't remember what it was, but if you're doing too fast, you just weren't eligible for this course. So there are some rules and regulations in well, there. And if, if it was to come in in Scotland, then then we... We could, you know, whoever's looking at this law, our lawmakers in Scotland would say to, you know, maybe to try and improve on what is already available in England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You would recommend it? Yeah, I would recommend it. I wasn't aware of this at all, but people had heard some when you say it was 15 years it's been going down there. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, I was aware of that, yeah. So how long ago was it you were down there doing it? I think it was about three years ago. I think it was about two or three years ago at most. And have you been done for speeding again? No, no. I've, I've done for speeding once before, 1964 in Darville. And that's, <laughs> and, that, and that's it? The guys with the white coats in the big box in the middle of the road. <laughs> that's going back a wee bit. That's yes, going back yes, a bit, yes, yeah. <laughs> Michael, thank you very much indeed for giving us your thoughts on that. Chris wants to talk about speeding as well. Hi, Chris. Hi, good morning. Good morning to you. What's your thoughts on this? Well, I just think we really have to be careful with the tone of these kind of discussions. Like you're asking people, have you been caught? And, and almost having a laugh about it, like everybody speeds. So last year, there were 36 people in the UK killed by terrorism. Do you have an idea of how many people are killed annually in the roads in the UK? You're going to tell me. I, I am, yeah. It's about 1,700 on average. So about 50 deaths in the road for every one by terrorism. And I think if we were having a discussion about, I don't know, knife violence, we wouldn't say, you know, have you been caught carrying a knife recently? I just think we need to change the tone, change the way that we discuss this and treat it as a really serious issue. It is because, a serious... I never said it wasn't a serious issue. Sure, but I think the tone of it is just that we expect everybody does it. We are all, how many points have you got? How many times have you been caught? But we do. Uh, you do. You, most people do speed at some point. Are you telling me you've never... Are you, first of all, are you a driver? 
I am, yeah. And have you never been caught speeding? I've never been caught speeding, and I wouldn't say that I speed in general. I'm not going to say I've never gone 21, 22, or 20, but in general, I look at the sign, I follow the rules, and, and that's a simple way of avoiding a speeding fine. Um, and I think the level of enforcement we have by the police in the country is so limited. People speed all the time and are caught so rarely, despite the fact that it's, it's a killer. I don't think they're caught so rarely. I don't agree with that at all. I think a, a, lot, well, of pe- a lot of people are caught. There are speed vans, speed cameras. They're, they're called safety cameras. They're called safety cameras for a reason. Well, I, you know, I live in Edinburgh in a 20-mile-an-hour zone on my, the road outside my front door, and I imagine it's the vast majority of people are going at 25 or 30, mm-hmm. day in, day out, and I've never seen any action against that. Um, and we know from statistics that people hitting, uh, drivers hitting pedestrians at 20 versus 25 versus 30 versus 35, the rates of survival are hugely different, and so we need to be taking this a lot more seriously. And if speed awareness courses work, that's fantastic, but we need a lot more enforcement. Mm. No, I, I, I certainly, where we would agree, is on 20 mile an hour limits within built up areas. The, you know, I think even the, the police have said that they find it difficult to um, police this, you know, because they, they can't be in every housing street and, and whatever. And you're right, it's, it's people do probably not observe the 20 miles an hour limit as much as they should do. Right, there are lawbreakers day in, day out. And we know that 3% of pedestrians are killed at 20 versus 50% at 35. You know, these limits are really there for a reason. Um, and, and we need to be doing more to make people take it a lot more seriously. OK, thank you very much indeed for your call. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. Back on the phone lines, Ian, good morning to you. Ali, good morning to you. Ali, I'm just thinking the Edinburgh City Bypass, I don't know how many times I've been driving down there. And okay then, I've got to be doing less than 70 mile an hour. I look in my mirror and here's, uh, well, sometimes you used to call them jam sandwich, uh, a police car, and it would rocket right past me. Now, it's not got its blue lights on. If it's got its blue lights on, obviously somebody's in trouble. They've got to get there as quick as possible. But, Going past, I would, I would say, without the blue lights on, surely they are breaking the law. They should be setting an example for us. If I was doing 75, they'd be quick enough to stop me. But, okay then, is there such a thing as a citizen's advice to tell the police, wait a minute, pal, you should be setting an example here. I can't do the speeds you do. Some of these guys, I'm, I'm not saying that they're all the, the, the joyriders out there. They might be on a mission, whatever they're... They maybe want to go there so that they're, wherever they're going, uh, they didn't want the, uh, the the people to see that they're getting near as quick as because they've not got their blue lights on or whatever it be. But if they've not got the lights on, to me, they're just out there on the, doing their job as they do. Uh, they should be sticking to the speed limit the same as us. But what about our previous caller? Surely he has a point there when he's talking about we should be taking responsibility for ourselves. Oh, never, 100%. Never, oh, we you shouldn't can... be saying, look, oh, the police do it, so it's okay for us. That, you know, is, is and, I, and I agree with them, it is a serious subject. Oh, you could do 20 miles on a push bike. Do you not agree with the 20 mile limits then? Uh, yes, I do. And, 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 and all the stats that he's talking about, uh, when it's a bump to bump, whether it be a pedestrian or another vehicle, obviously it's not going to be nearly serious. But I mean, if you go to 20, you've got to knock it down to 15, and you've got to knock it down to 10, and you've got to have to be walking in the front of a vehicle with a red flag like they did a couple of hundred years back. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, the other thing I was going to say, as far as blue lights are concerned, uh, I'm staying in Pentagon, and there's still a story goes about this. This guy used to drive an ambulance, and I'll mention any names here. But when you would hear the G-Jaw going, this guy used to stay along the road for me, driving a, a, an ambulance, and I'm going back uh, maybe 30, 40 years, and always writing it was this guy going home for his dinner, putting the blue lights on. Well, I don't know. Such is life, such is life. Story, anyway, enjoy story, your show. The it's stories a- of Pennycook. Ah! <laughs> Ian, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Uh, let's go to Fred, who's in Aberdeen. Fred, hi, how are you? 
Hi, uh, good morning, Ali. Oh, sorry, good afternoon. It is indeed. No, it's yeah. still morning. It's still, <laughs> still morning. Don't do I, that. I was right first time. I was right. That's okay, it. Ali. Yeah. Hi, uh, how are you doing? I'm all right. Now, this morning Ali. we've been talking about various subjects. What do you want to talk about? Right, Ali. All I want to mention is I know it's an ongoing thing, or I will be an ongoing thing. I'm kind of very disappointed that the First Minister has uh, uh, taken up this bill uh, for people like the two ladies, uh, which have been in the news, etc., recently, and for it to fail, as it has done very miserably, um, and it's cost the Scottish taxpayer five, six hundred thousand, which is just another, oh, just rub it out because it's Scottish money. We don't have to worry about that. I would like to say, to Nicholas Sturgeon, you really need to get on with things that if you want to pass these type of bills, make sure, because I feel that that two ladies might not get a case, which is uh, supposed to be starting soon because of these sort of... Right, well, uh, well I don't want to go too... No, we too can't do that, Ali, No, we can't do that. do that. But you, do you think, are you saying that um, you don't think the Scottish government at the moment are giving priorities to day-to-day issues? Is that what you're saying? Yes, Ali. But also, if they're going to do things like that, even mentioning, like, your speeding thing there just now, um, they don't have to necessarily follow exactly everything that England might be doing, because as that gentleman said there a minute ago, you could do 30 miles an hour uh, in, a, in a push bike. And if you hit someone with a push bike at 30 miles an hour, then you could injure them very seriously and pushbacks don't have insurance. Mm, I, I think I would like it's to a think. Area, Ali. Yeah, it, I, I would like to think that you know it is Police Scotland that have um, brought this forward, and and obviously they've looked at what is being carried out in England. It's been there uh-huh. for many years. Let's you know. I would hope yes, that if if they do bring this forward, and it's going to be something that they're going to introduce, one would hope that they would look and see how they could improve what is already on offer in England. So they, it doesn't necessarily, as you say, need to be exactly the same, does it? Yes. No. You're you're absolutely correct there, Ali. It's like where I live, for example. Again, was mentioned this morning by one of your callers at twenty mile an hour speed limit. Ali, they do 40, not 25 and 30. They do 40, and there's humps there as well. They all drive over it because they've all got these Jeeps and things and think, oh, well, this doesn't damage a Jeep or, or whatever. As one of the humps actually starting to crumble because of the pressure it gets from these speeding cars. You mentioned it to the police, Ali, they're not interested. OK, Fred, thank you. That's where we have to leave it. We are running out of time today. I just got um, one in here from... Liz, she says, at last someone else promoting self-accountability. Speeding is no laughing matter. And for a call to brag, they haven't been caught again as opposed to not broken the speed limit reflects a disregard for the law and a law that is designed to save lives. Okay, agree with you on that one. Let's see if I can squeeze just another couple in here uh, talking about that. I've got uh, some comments on the Facebook, Liz says, I, another Liz here, I've been caught speeding, but why should I have to go through a course to be showing how not to speed? We all know we shouldn't be speeding. You don't have to do the course. You get the choice, Liz, if that's is, if it follows through in the same way. You have the choice of going on the speed awareness course or accepting the fine and the points. So the, the choice would be yours. And you don't, from what I understand, always get that choice. It's not a case of it happening every time. That's it for Scotland's Talking. We've covered Brexit, we've covered tourist tax. Um, There was a comment in about the tourist tax here and it comes from Bill. He says, I'm in favour of the tourist tax. I'd be surprised if tourists stopped coming because of it. So would I, Bill. Scotland's Talking. The podcast.